Osiris. Hi, this is Maggie Rose. You're listening to Salute the Songbird on Osiris Media. Salute the Songbird is a platform for women in music to share their stories and let their voices be heard. And everyone has a seat at the table. Hey there, everybody. It's Maggie Rose. Welcome to this very special episode of Salute the Songbird. I'm so excited to kick off season three. I've already had the privilege of having so many cool guests on for the season three. But before we launch that, I thought it would be cool to sit down with one of my favorite journalists, Marissa Moss. She has a book coming out in May called Her Country, How the Women of Country Music Became the Success They Were Never Supposed to Be. And it talks about so many women in the industry, but it specifically chronicles the careers of Mickey Guyton, Marin Morris, and Casey Musgraves. And she even references Salute the Songbird at the end in her list of many sources that she enjoyed while she put the book together. So complete honor there. She writes for Rolling Stone. She interviewed me right before I put my album, changed the whole thing out, and wrote a piece for that on that album in 2018. And we've been friends ever since. But more about Marissa Moss in season three, because she is a guest and we get to talk all about her incredible career and this book that's such a great read. It comes out on May 10th. But because she's a fan of the show and because she's a pro at what she does, I thought that it would be cool to have me be in the hot seat while she asked me some questions that you also might have on your mind. So it's a bit of an inception moment. This is a podcast about the podcast, Salute the Songbird, with myself and Marissa Moss. Thank you so much for being a Salute the Songbird listener. Love you very much, and I can't wait to see you in season three. Oh, and just another thing. I have neglected at the beginning of a lot of these episodes to give you a heads up about any profanity or references to sexual assault or abuse And I just want you all to take care as you listen to these episodes, because we do sometimes venture into that territory that some listeners can be sensitive to, especially if they're taken by surprise. So please enjoy this episode. But keep in mind that sometimes we do touch on topics that might trigger some of you. Thank you. One of the things that I really love about listening to your conversations is in the, I think in the rare cases where you get to hear two artists talking or two people in the same industry, whether it's film or music or whatever, a lot of time the conversation sort of comes off as people talking a little bit inside baseball, like just sort of mm-hmm. assuming they know stuff about each other. And you don't sort of rest on being in Nashville for a certain amount of years or assume anything or assume the listener knows you come in so researched and so genuinely interested in these artists' paths. How do you go about preparing? Luckily, I'm just so interested in finding these consistencies between all these women's stories. And I find something surprising about every one of my guests, especially at the end of every episode. There's one question that I routinely ask, which is, what are the positive aspects of being a woman in the industry? Because I want to leave people on a high note and every guest has provided a different answer. Like there's been variations and nuance to how they see those benefits manifesting in their life. 
And even that's just a great example of how deep you can go with all of this. But I think during the pandemic in the beginning, I had the time to dig in. I was a little heartbroken over the fact that I had just completed a record fully and was going to go out and tour it. And then those prospects were erased. So I needed for a moment to just do something that I was really passionate about. Definitely something for the greater good. I didn't think that there was going to be anything profitable about this, you know, and still that remains to be seen. It's something that is is very much a labor of love, but it was making me a better musician and it was making me feel like even Nancy Wilson of Heart, who's got a long established solid career, had similar struggles to, you know, Gillette Johnson, who's, you know, just putting out incredible music, but still trying to make her way. And that was very comforting to me. So I think that I was using that as a resort to find comfort in during a really tough time. I became addicted to it. I was doing like the numbing that Brene Brown talks about where the movie's over and then you need to know everything about every actor and like who wrote the script and you, know, you just want to live in that space for a while. And that was how the research in those early episodes felt just like an escape. You're obviously known to most people as a songwriter, as an artist, as a performer. Did you have any sort of self-doubt or reservations about jumping into this format that was new, that's kind of dominated by like loud mouth dudes <laughs> and oh, yeah. just coming in and saying, you know, I'm going to be a woman in this space and I'm going to talk about shit that matters to women. Absolutely. I think it is all the air gets sucked out of the room by the Joe Rogans of the world and these people <laughs> who are like larger than life. That's not my style. I do have versions of myself that emerge like on stage and things like that. But on social media, on all these platforms, it's been so nice to have this long form space to just have a conversation with people that I admire. But of course, there's like imposter syndrome. And is this person even going to know who the hell I am when I slide into their DMs and ask them to be on my podcast? And I needed people to believe in me. And I think that it brought up a little bit of trauma from the industry and like that sense of not belonging. You know, if it's, I've had so many labels around town say, she's great, but what do we do with her? Or like, where does her music fit? So that kind of came back up again when I was trying to get the ball rolling on this. And I had women who believed in me and who were basically putting their skin in the game by being guests on these first episodes and who had a big name for me to get some notoriety on this podcast with. And that was a really nice way to break the cycle a little bit. I felt right at home from the get-go and I was running into people when we did start touring or having people reach out who had heard the podcast who wanted to be a part of it. And like, that's pretty addicting and positive reinforcement like that just has made me fall in love with it even more. So I didn't feel like I was having to sell and pitch this whole idea. Like I kind of have felt in a lot of other pursuits throughout my career with mm -hmm. the music row system. And I think that, you know, friends and artists being super excited to come on a podcast that's brand new speaks to not only, obviously, your reputation in Nashville, but also the sort of counter to this myth that we're fed that, like, women are constantly wanting to stomp all over each other and not lift each other up when we can, you know, and not right. like a let's hold hands and, like, you know, we can be real and talk about that. There is a system that's created to make us compete with each other. But right. there also is a lot of helping each other out when we can and going on each other's podcasts and just kind of joining the fight together. There's a lot of myths like that. And, you know, I was looking at your Twitter feed, which I love. It's like one of my favorite Twitter feeds <laughs> out there in existence. But you retweeted this thread from... Shelly Wright, and she's like, I want to be part of the conversation. These are a few things that I'm just going to say, like, there's 
gaslighting involved. They're saying you're trying to tokenize yourself. They're saying that women don't support women. Like these holes that they're trying to poke in our argument of what is just undeniably an inequity within country music in particular. It's one of the things that kind of drove me away to the from the country radio format. But that's clearly not true. And some of these women who've been on the show are friends and peers that I've spent time with. And some are just looking for an atmosphere in which they can engage with another artist and talk about things that are bothering them. Like Yola was one of my favorite conversations because with all the success that she is enjoying, she's still pissed about a lot of things in the current state of the industry. And it was kind of refreshing to talk to someone who seemingly has it all going on and is just not going to rest until certain things are rectified within the industry. I've been trying at it Trying hard to deny I'm thinking about how it's gonna Gender is kind of the lowest thing that's prioritized on this show, but we all have very similar plights that we want to talk about. And the candor that you have between two women who are entrenched in it is going to be hard to beat yeah. in other spaces. Yeah, absolutely. I remember one time I was doing my daily camp commute with one of my kids over the summer listening to your episode with Mickey Guyton mm-hmm. and it was a heavy it, one it, it was heavy and important and heartwarming and there were times I find myself listening and just like nodding along by myself like awkwardly mm-hmm. in the car <laughs> <laughs> and there's so many conversations that I've listened to on your podcast where you know, I'm not a performer and I think this is why people love it so much. I'm not a performer, but there were so many things that mirrored things that happened in my own life. And that's such a valuable thing, I think, to see that we all have very similar, you know, we all have different versions of the same struggle in some way when it comes to being a woman in any kind of business. Mickey is such a master of empathy though because especially in this last two years i mean her life has been completely turned upside down a lot of it in a wonderfully beautifully disorienting way but i just put this compilation episode together and some of the quotes that i pulled that really ring with me still are are these quotes that i feel like are relevant now like that asshole said something to her about not belonging in country music and take your wokeness elsewhere. And the irony is like, he has no idea about the actual history of country music and Mickey's job is to keep having to carry the torch and informing people. And like, that's a burden that's taking away from her art and just this idea to like constantly be performing and just further diluting the quality of the time that we're spending on our music because of all this other bullshit. I think it's just a really hard time to be an artist, which is why some of these conversations are getting really heavy, really quick, but in a, in a therapeutic way for us, that was sort of meandering, but like just the fact that she's having such a successful year and yet she's feeling like there's a target on her because she's just having to present facts and defend her position even being in music then she also still understands the disadvantages that I'm feeling even though they're to a lesser degree and she always makes room for you when she's talking about her own situation
Was there one episode that you were you're kind of most nervous about, one interview you were most nervous about? Yes. Kathy Valentine, for sure. I was <laughs> um, <laughs> so nervous about interviewing her because, like, she's a badass and she's Kathy Valentine of the Go-Go's. And I had just read her whole memoir, All I Ever Wanted, which is amazing and gnarly yeah. and brutally honest and... I guess in the research process, I read her audible version. So I had her reading this whole story to me and it's chronicling like her childhood and like a little bit of the broken home that she grew up in and sexual assaults and drug use and just all this crazy stuff that your closest friends in the world might not tell you. And she had amazing music interludes between every chapter then I watched the Go-Go's documentary on HBO and then she's like in front of me and I'm interviewing <laughs> her and I'm just like, this is like the toughest, baddest musician. And then we're talking about her having a family. It just felt surreal. And just knowing like her strength and what she had been through and how like no shit she was about everything was pretty cool. And I remember just feeling super disoriented once the interview was over. I kind of like didn't know what I had and did a lot of second guessing and just was like, you embarrassed yourself. And then I listened back to the interview a couple of days later when we were able to put it together and it was phenomenal. So mm -hmm. just little things like that where you just kind of have to do it and prove it to yourself that you can get through it. And it was a great interview. It's one of my favorite episodes. Well, I mean, you've been interviewed a lot prior, obviously, to launching the podcast. You've been on the other side many times, and I'm sure having right. kind of interviews that range from really great to, oh my God, like, get me out of here. What is happening? As much as you, I'm sure, thought about the great interviews that you'd have, did you think about the real stinkers? Are there moments that you've been interviewed that you were like, I don't ever want to ask questions like that? Oh, yeah. So many. I have been on like six country radio tours in my yeah. career, and there's a lot of great people that I've met, but there are just some abhorrent interviews that, you know, I saw the Wikipedia page pulled up that wasn't updated for me and you know we're just off to the races and i know that they're asking me questions that they're just making up on the spot or sometimes they have nothing to do with music whatsoever it was like a fun trivia game like that's kind of the equivalent of just like getting a viral tiktok dance video when you're trying to promote music like it just was this whole trip to go to this radio station and talk about your music and then you end up kind of doing this dog and pony show. And um, I just, I wanted it to be real and I wanted the conversations to be dictated by my guests. And I also preface every interview before we hit record with like, this is your space to just feel safe. If there's any territory that we venture into, this is not a gotcha kind of format. Like, why would I ever want to violate someone's sense of security like that? So that kind of just eases the tension. Sometimes we would toast a cocktail before or a cup of tea, and I want it to feel like this really exclusive, almost like voyeuristic view into two artists hanging out. So I wanted to do just that and talk to women. And this is where... Like, it's a really wonderful place to express myself, too. And I think the guests are feeling that as well. Yeah, that's exactly how it feels to listen to it. It's like a really in-depth conversation between two artists that, you know, you're kind of just like almost spying mm -hmm. on at times. Um, just, you know, two people talking about the real issues that like their lives and but also I mean like I said a little bit earlier they're so we're so caught up with gotcha 
stories, like you said, or having a clicky headline or right. a soundbite that's really salacious or, mm-hmm. you know, tied into whatever the theme of the moment is. And I guess that feeds the internet really well, but it can be really exhausting. I think if you just want to, you're just a fan of music and art history right. and your show is such a great place to kind of fill everything that's missing when we prioritize only that talking about music and process and experience. And there's no like, okay, we got to get that one like little juicy thing that, you know? Yeah. But they come up. I mean, they come in naturally, but that's the only way you want them to surface. That is the only way I want them to surface. And usually if they're happening organically, it's because that is something that is therapeutic to my guests being able to talk about and really contextualize this anecdote with like meaningful parts of their narrative that will make them more relatable to the listener. But I don't think that anyone's even contrived in their thinking about how they're spelling out their story. And I also feel like it's not like a big girl boss, like yes, queen (laughs) platform. And it's also not a bitch fest. Like we're not like, God, we are, the victims. It's this complex, vulnerable depiction of all the joys and sorrows of being a woman in this industry. And everything from ageism to racism to sexism and not getting financially supported in what they're doing, their family not supporting them. I mean, those are all really important components when you're trying to live a visible life of a performer that a lot of people don't get to see or understand how that factors into what you're putting out into the world. And it might heighten some people's appreciation for artists that they didn't really know about or weren't fans of before. And it's it's, the feedback has been so cool with people discovering new artists too. Like if I've had anything to do with helping these women be more celebrated, like that feels pretty amazing. Have people reached out that came into the podcast and hadn't heard the musicians music and then talked about how, you know, once they heard their story, they engaged with their catalog. Yes. I've heard so many examples. I think every guest, even for as much notoriety as these women already have. It's just cool to see how that story is permeating through the listenership of this show. And like Valerie June, not only was her music something that I got a lot of really great feedback on, but people have purchased her book of poetry and just realized what depth she has as a creator in general. And that's just pretty cool to see. You know, I think that they probably would be discovered regardless of their involvement with my podcast, but it's just cool to be a part of the history. And also seeing some of these women who were at the precipice of blowing up actually be on this show and then watch their career. Like, I already interviewed Allison Russell for season three, but it's just been unbelievable to talk to her when things were already very exciting and then just see the growth that's happened just in a few months since we last spoke for the podcast. So I just wrote with Natalie Hemby the other day and, you know, we're both very much in each other's lives, but that helped us reconnect in such a cool way. And this song is something that we wrote all about our early careers and people telling us that you weren't ready or you're, you're too young or not supporting our trust in ourselves and then kind of moving on and leaving you mystified about, you know, you had me on hold and then like just the industry and being on that conveyor belt. And I think that the podcast was a huge catalyst for us getting back together and starting to write again. 
I remember listening to that episode with Natalie Hemby and she said something like, I'm not an artist. I think of you as an artist. And I was like, that's yeah. so, I remember just how jarred I felt when she said that. And, mm-hmm. and just realizing that even some, you know, like, of course she's in the high woman. She's put out two incredible solo albums, but right. just that even getting to the insecurities in the way that we, you know, the imposter syndromes that even the most successful among us still cannot shake. Right. When she's such a conductor for other people's artistry that I think, you know, that's just how we identify ourselves. She's a conduit for these people to get their songs out. And she really is just a master at being a medium for what's going on in your soul and your mind and your heart and just helping you put that into music and lyrics. And she just doesn't realize when she's in it, like that she is very much her own artist too. But that's sort of, that is the inside Nashville speak that I feel like you hear terms like that all the time. Like, Oh, she's doing the artist thing or mm-hmm. you know, she's just writing. And it's, like these roles that we designate to the people in the industry that I think can kind of limit us. And she's someone who is definitely pushing the boundaries of what someone can do with their music and how they can reach that and what the vehicle for reaching their audience can look like. Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, there's amazing things that come out of the songwriter community here in Nashville. On the other hand, it's sometimes at least from the outside, looks like, you know, a little bit of a sterile machine. kind of a funny question for you. I love um, it. If you could get a bunch of the men in Nashville in the top positions of power in one room and make them listen to one episode of your podcast, which one would you pick? Mm. Man, that's really hard. Um, it's tough. I, Yola, that episode was amazing just because of sort of what I touched on earlier about her enjoying all the success. She's playing all these amazing festivals. She's getting nominated for Grammys. She's about to star in this Baz Luhrmann film, but she's still dissatisfied with the state of the industry, with the fact that she feels tokenized on a lot of these big festivals. She's like, not only Am I the only black woman here? But there's no women. Like, I'm the only woman this day. And just addressing that, Jade Bird talked about that, too, um, with the festival bills and just how imbalanced they are. Martina McBride was a great interview because she's so in touch with the progress and how women have been represented. And she knows that she benefited from growing up in a time where there were so many women on the radio who were making waves and who were being given airtime and who were controversial figures. You know, she has great stories about Loretta Lynn and the pill and just like how exciting it was to have these inspirations. And she's really dismayed at what's going on right now, but it's not for lack of talent. I'm saying it's not for lack of talent within the pool of women making music, not Martina's talent. We know she's extremely successful, but you know, she's someone who kind of knows what's up and has been able to make a great sustainable career for herself, but would say that it's devolved as far as representation goes. And she said something that was really important in her podcast that was like, you know, the onus is on everybody. It's not just the label heads to diversify who they're signing, but it's the producers who are kind of making sonically the same records and using the same session players. And 
we're cutting all the songs from the same songwriters. Like there becomes this pattern of convenience and we're seeing that in how they're signing you know, TikTok stars and putting kids on their label who have never set foot on a stage, who can't even put a 30 minute set together. And how does that serve those artists? I know that you might be hitching a ride to something that's working already, but you're not yielding a sustainable career for them. You're throwing them to the wolves. That's just not compassionate to me. I love hearing you talk about your own journey Mm -hmm. in Nashville and, and how you got to, you know, sort of thinking about it all in the context of ending up with have a seat in where you are now and these themes of sort of, you know, it came up even as recently as the Amanda Shires interview, you know, figuring out not being one genre or the other and, you know, freeing yourself from that pressure to have to be in a box. Yeah. I don't know many artists who pick the genre before they create, you know, I think that that's something that's always done after the fact. I understand the necessity of categorization when it comes to marketing something, but that's not why I moved here. And that's why there are people who are experts at that. But this is much more the origin of the idea that we're talking about. And I think the general consensus is that we all kind of resent genre, I think. And I can comfortably say that everyone who's been on the podcast to some degree is just like, no, I, I made one record that was really successful in this genre, so I'm beholden to this genre forever. Or they have a similar story to my own where you moved here really young and you were told that this is the conveyor belt and you promote one single. And if that single doesn't work, you live and die by the success of that. And maybe you get to release another one, maybe you don't. So we look elsewhere for success and joy and versatility that is true to who we are and what is that like we don't really know what that looks like and you stumble upon it together and it's nice to be walking that walk with so many other women on a similar path yeah it's a particularly interesting struggle I think for women too in terms of it's a lot I mean even male artists they want the same freedoms from having to create within a genre boundary too. It's not particular to one genre, one gender rather, but women have so many constraints placed on them on top of all of that. Especially I think black women are never going to be quote country enough, even if they're barreling down dirt roads in Texas, like with banjo, never country enough or never authentic enough. I know, but then you talk to Amethyst Kia and it's like, Alison Russell, all part of our native daughters, like the real history does originate from black people of country music, but facts are not, I don't mean to sound so (laughs) dismal right now, but it's just like, (laughs) there is just a demographic that we are dealing with when it comes to country radio, that's really stubbornly exclusive of you know, people like me, definitely people like Amethyst and Allison and Mickey. And I felt badly because during Mickey's interview, I basically was like, why do you put up with it? Like, why do you still do country? And I didn't want to dismiss a whole genre because there's a lot that I love sonically about country. I mean, there's a lot I love about playing at the Opry and about parts of that community. But there's a lot of stuff that I just don't want to tolerate anymore. And for her, like, she didn't have that convenience of doing that because that's the music she wants to do. And she didn't see anyone who looked like her doing that. So it wasn't just about her preference of musical taste, but it was also about the fact that there would be another generation, potentially, who wouldn't have anyone to look to the way Mickey didn't, really. Little kid in a small town I did my best just to fit in Broke my heart on the playground Mm. When they said I was different 
So I find that interesting. And her pregnancy, like on top of all of this, you're yeah. dealing with just the physical demand of that and being tired. And I remember she's like, I was ready for rolling out this music and my body was snatched and I was ready. Yeah. And like, <laughs> she's like, and then I got pregnant. And then like, you know, black like me just did what it did. And I became the center of this huge conversation. And like, my God, I'm so proud for her. And I was terrified for her. And I continue to just take up for her. And I know that she's making a difference, but this is like a long road that Mickey Guyton is going to have to deal with, to just do what she loves and for what. My dream is that Mickey gets the day where she's doing a bunch of interviews on an album or whatever it is, and she's just talking about her music yeah, and her art. I mean, she'll always participate in the conversation of changing country music and, right. you know, take the leadership role that she has and continue with that. So I don't mean to yeah. say that she'll one day turn it off, but to be able to have conversations too, just about her artistry mm-hmm. and her writing and her sensibilities and her voice. I mean, yeah, that's what her quote was. It was like, I don't want to have to have conversations like this forever. And, you know, I appreciate and admire that she's, for the time being, holding these conversations, but it's certainly not a burden that she should have to carry. And I love, like, Maren Morris said this, when people asked her, like, what is equality for women in music going to look like? And she's like, when I'm not asked about my gender anymore, when that's just not even, like, something that's in the line of questions. And that's a wonderfully reasonable and idealistic way to look at it. It's like no patronage yeah. or persecution for it. Just mm-hmm. sort of a neutral playing field where we can all be evaluated on our merits and not everything else. But that's not reality, sadly. Yeah. Sadly, I feel extremely pessimistic instincts within me. And my first thought is to want to say like, well, that will never happen. <laughs> I'm sort of relieved that you say that, though, because... I'm okay with that. I've known that for a long time and still this is the greatest job in the world. Like I've confronted that truth for many years now and I still am here and I'm doing things on my own terms. And I think that there's a big correlation between my music and this podcast. Like I'm not looking for that salacious soundbite and clickbait and I'm also not bending over backwards to get that really well-testing country radio single, if it's going to mean me forsaking the rest of my album or if it's going to be the outlier for everything else that I'm doing. like That's sustainable to me, and that is greatness. But you just kind of have to take the compromise of maybe making a little less money. (laughs) I think that's something that I struggle with, especially in talking about artists is accepting kind of the reality and being yeah. a little bit more pessimistic, but maybe it's not even pessimism anymore. Maybe it's practical, but just, you know, how much mm-hmm. should you sort of play up this ability to, you know, carve your own path and shape your career in this different way that really suits you, but maybe, you know, isn't beginning on country radio or, headlining festivals or all those things and like where's the meeting point between 
doing what's true to you and compromise and like how do you balance that you know right the trajectory doesn't look the same for anybody but we just have this idea of release an album get a hit single go on late night tv play all these festivals get these awards and there is also an existence where it's like be a really well-reputed musician who's making art continuously, whatever that looks like. And some years will be more visible than others, but you know, I'm definitely not going anywhere. And I think that I found something that's really special, but it took deviating in a big way for me to find that. And I think I might be doing it like in the only way that's going to be <laughs> peaceful for me to be able to do and allow for me to do this for the rest of my life. It seems like it has bigger rewards than, I don't want to say like selling your soul for a hit, but I mean, sure. (laughs) Yeah. No. And I've been in that room where it's like, if you don't do this, the label will fold. And you know, like this, terrible nightmare scenario that actually ended up happening and I'm okay, you know? And the reason that period of my career doesn't define me is because that's not where the story ended. You just Mm -hmm. continue. I was like, okay, well, do I need a big label to do this? Do I need all these things around me? Or can I assemble them in a new format or in a different way that works and I could. And you just sort of figure it out. And I think if there was a right label partner, that would be another scenario. It's just like a flexible mind is a healthy mind and everything is customizable. And that's what's been so fun about the variety of guests on this show. It's just everyone's kind of come at it from a different angle and it's fascinating and inspiring and like that practicality that we're talking about, we'll call it that and not pessimism is what makes these stories so impressive. It's like, here's the reality of the industry and everyone's just kind of slicing it different, making it work. A little bit ago, you mentioned Martina and I found myself when I listened to her talk, always being a little bit surprised at first by how, kind of candid she is and honest and very like surgical analytical the way she talks about things and Mm -hmm. I always ask myself I'm like wait why am I surprised like this is Martina she's brilliant she's always had a a voice but then I realized like my own biases that have sort of been poked in from the way that she's been you know the way we sort of treat any woman who's like over the age of 28 and Mm -hmm. I feel like I've had a couple of those moments listening to your show where I'm like, why am I surprised by hearing what I'm hearing and realizing that that was because what I've been fed from the lack of hearing in-depth conversations or Mm -hmm. sort of resting on what we're meant to assume about women, older women in this town, any town entertainment industry is like, you know, like 30 plus or whatever. Sure. Oh, yeah. And she's just so involved. She's a tastemaker. She and her husband have Blackbird, and they're just always looking at the new talent that's coming through town. And she's been extremely nurturing to me. Like, I've gone on tour with her, and remember she had, like, a spa day with me and some of the other people on the bill and just was like, all right, open discussion, like ask me anything you want. It just became very clear that she has seen all of it and she can call bullshit quicker than anybody else. And she's still doing this because she enjoys it, even having seen the horrors that she's seen. And she's an activist for equality on the radio. It's just so great to hear her in that kind of long form because it just you know you mostly get a sound bite like a little right. red carpet sound bite at CMAs or a news hit where she's been given you know a 15 minute phoner 10 minute phoner and it's been condensed mm-hmm. to easily digestible for 
country music website right of the day try not to you know talk shit on anyone but um, well, sure but i mean yeah. when you asked that earlier when we started just like about your worst interviews and trying to keep that in your mind mm-hmm. as you are being the one interviewing a lot of what made those interviews so terrible was just like how surface they were it wasn't that this person was like a jackass or that they didn't care it was just not and i believe it still is not conducive to familiarizing an audience with new talent like i don't really see a lot of people going on the kind of radio tours that i was going on back in like 2000 10 11 12 13 like spending all this time out there it felt really dissatisfying to just like not get to anything meaty or toothsome to talk about with these people and traveling all over the country to break my career i'm saying in air quotes but really not feel known at all and that's not like what these episodes have been at all there's been just questions that I never thought I'd get to ask of someone like Martina McBride and she's funny and sweet and compassionate. And it was really cool for me to reveal that to some people for potentially the first time. And I love too how you've, you know, you don't only interview artists. You've interviewed people like Leslie Fram. I love your episode with Kelly McCartney and her perspective was so different and, listening to you know someone like kelly who you hear on the other side as an interviewer a lot getting to hear her motivations and her life story and how she got to where she is and her own unique challenges was really fascinating to me and that's just someone who counts her as a friend she's a tastemaker who's doing the work and you know your question about which episode would i like the executives on music row to listen to that's a great example mm-hmm. of yeah. someone that they should pay attention to because there's nothing lazy about her when it comes to discovery of great new music she's out there just pouring over everything that's available and is a genuine music lover and she should be an anr i mean she should be the best paid A&R at any given label. You know, she even said she had a great quote about music being her refuge as like a young girl growing up in Louisiana. And despite her inability to produce music herself, you know, she did something where she's in close proximity to this art form that's so important to her. And I need people like that to have symbiosis with so I can do my job and have people who I really admire sharing it in a meaningful way. Validation from people like Kelly. That's awesome. And there are people out in the world like that who I think are going to be really fundamental in helping worthy people get discovered because it's really broken in that regard, I think, our industry. Just the discovery and development of talent just feels like an abandoned process altogether. Oh, yeah. Well, what are you, to give, you know, folks a little taste of what is to come? Oh, well, I should say I'm interviewing you, (laughs) which you have this (laughs) amazing book coming out. But that's what I wanted to interview people who are doing what Salute the Songbird was intended to do, give a platform to these women, celebrate women who've been long established, help in the discovery process for people that I think need to be heard. And you do that every single day in this book that you have coming out in May, Her Country. I'm so excited about that. But Leslie Fram is someone who's just so important in the work she does with Change the Conversation. And a lot of this is specific to the country format and the crazy imbalance that's there, but it takes a village. Nicole Barcelona, who started Women in Music, and Noelle Skaggs, who's an artist and co-front woman of Fits in the Tantrums. Like We didn't really even talk about her music because she was so passionate about talking about Diversify the Stage, which is this database where she sourced all these 
Black, Indigenous people of color who could work in the touring industry but aren't getting hired. Like, it's just this awesome community that I feel like we've formed where you can talk about whatever is most important to you. And oftentimes that's people's music, but there's things that are very relevant to the world we're living in right now that shows the human side of all these people that goes beyond just their appreciation for music and their creative process. I'm going to end by asking you something that Mm -hmm. you've asked your guests. It felt only fitting to end this way and to ask you to leave us with some positive aspects of being a woman in this industry. I should have this at the ready, just like, (laughs) but I actually think because I've had so many impressive answers, I'm always just kind of looking deeper into what those advantages are. And I think that this whole podcast is an example that I can point to. I think just reluctance of the powers that be in the industry to not get in my corner and just help me launch an idea when I'm fully capable of executing something great was a deterrent for me to do this. And I was disproven in my doubt immediately because I had such a resounding response of support when I reached out to all the people who were my first guests. They were so excited. They said what you said, like, you're meant to do this and Um, I just felt like I couldn't have done it without my guests and the women who are on this show. It would be a really boring podcast if I didn't have willing guests to help me launch it. And they didn't have a prototype to look to. Like Ruby Monfu was my first guest. And I'm not sure that she was aware as it was going down. I think I told her at the end and she's like, oh my God, this is the first one. Like, that's so crazy. And She didn't care. She just believed in me and I and her. And that is not something that's unique to women, but it's certainly something that is really prevalent. The fact that we can rely upon each other and help bring someone else's idea to fruition without feeling like it's undermining our own pursuits. That idea of cutting each other down because only one of us can succeed is so false. And I've been able to be shown that like every episode, you know, we've had 39 episodes thus far and it's growing. So it's nice to feel like I can't do it alone and I don't have to. How does it feel to be asked that question after 39 episodes? <laughs> <laughs> like just crazy. I've heard some that I love, like, you know, I love being underestimated. Because then when I finally get to show what I'm capable of, I can just far exceed any expectations that people had laid for me. I remember Jade Bird said that. And it's so funny coming from her because she's like, yeah, this big, very small. (laughs) And she's such a powerhouse. (laughs) You know, Nicole Atkins was like, a lot of things. Our clothes are better and (laughs) just, you know, funny things to bring levity to it. But You know, Brittany Spencer said, certainly not going to say that we're better for the struggle, but essentially we are, (laughs) you know, like there are advantages to us being anti-fragile and just being able to keep going, even though things are clearly not fair, that practicality we were talking about. I don't need another sad whiskey anthem, my self-esteem don't move with this. One thing that I just always say to myself whenever I'm 
about to embark on something that seems like really overwhelming or hard is like it's all more forgiving than you think. People aren't looking at your every move under a microscope and saying, oh, you failed here. Like you just have to, first of all, like be forgiving of yourself to do something that's subjective, such as music or art or a podcast and know that there's no right way to do it, but just go for it. And I think it's been really nice to have support of women all across the board, all ages, all genres, attaching themselves to this and being a part of the mission. Well, everybody, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Marissa Moss about this podcast that I absolutely adore putting together. Once again, I cannot wait to share season three with you. But before season three arrives for Women's History Month, I'll be releasing that special compilation episode that I referenced during this episode where we get to revisit so many moments of brilliance with the songbirds that I've had on the show throughout the last two seasons. So please follow along with me at I am Maggie Rose. You can join my With the Band fan page for exclusive content and make sure to subscribe to Salute the Songbird and leave a review. Tell your friends about it. I want to keep this thing going. Thank you so much to Marissa Moss for all of her time and thought that you put into this episode. And thank you guys for listening. Salute the Songbird is brought to you by Osiris Media, hosted by Maggie Rose. Produced by Austin Marshall, Maggie Rose, Kirsten Cluthy, and Brad Stratton. Editing by Justin Thomas at Revoice Media. Music by Maggie Rose. Show logo by Premier Music Group. Graphics by Catherine Boyles. Please subscribe to Salute the Songbird on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. And if you like the show, please recommend it to a friend or leave us a review so that others can join the conversation. Thanks for listening, and to close out the show, here's one from yours truly called For Your Consideration. Oh, why you act like you never made a mistake? Serve up advice that you'd never be able to take You're making a choice to add to the noise It's not helping Stuck in your lane in your own way Now I'm afraid of where you're going Sure must be nice knowing all there is to know Doesn't mean that it's all my fault Cause you say it's so Let's take a step back And try to unpack our baggage Start listening, stop starting shit Let's begin breaking bad habits I wish that I could Doesn't always go my way, but hey, it keeps things interesting. I don't expect you to change and simply take it on the chin. Even if we get nowhere, I don't care as long as we're trying. I wish that I could.
Tschüss.